Well, it's nice to be here once again. Um, I say it every time I come, it's nice to be here, because it is, it's wonderful to be here. Um, If you weren't able to be in the Sunday school hour this morning, um, once again, you you missed out. It was... (laughs) It was was amazing. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. Uh, The guy who was speaking in the Sunday school hour was incredible. So... Maybe next time. <laughs> um, so recently, uh, my wife and I, and my, well, our whole family, we have kids too, so uh, we brought them along. But we were recently in Indiana um, at a church missions conference over there. We got an invite uh, kind of as a surprise, and I thought, absolutely, yeah, I'd love to come. And so we, uh, we went there, and, and uh, they had a theme uh, for their missions conference, and it was, a, uh, the title said, A Waiting World, A Willing Church. And uh, it was a great theme. We, we went there, and uh, we got to share our ministry, and uh, we got to meet some other missionaries that they had there, going to Peru and Jamaica and some various other places, and what a great time that was. Um, but when we got back, um, I, I started thinking about that question at the end of A Willing Church. Because the way they set that up in, their, uh, in all the information they put out, uh, that last section, a willing church, had a question mark at the end. And so I, I, I started thinking about that myself. And um, as I thought about it, I didn't think about it so much as in, you know, are we as the whole body of Christ, are we willing? Uh, you're going to find areas where people are very willing, and you're going to find areas where people are not very willing. Um, so I wanted to apply that more to uh, myself and, and, and maybe even just cast the question to, to you guys a little bit this morning and have us look at some things. How, how willing are we to approach a waiting world and share the gospel with them? And what are some things that we can look at or do that will help us to be willing or some things that maybe we're not even looking at correctly um, as far as our willingness to go or to be here and to approach people with the gospel of Christ? So... That's kind of the direction we're going to go this morning, and hopefully um, it's a blessing to all of you, uh, despite my being the person who's giving it to you, because um, I am not the greatest speaker in the world, so uh, we're just going to hope that God works through that. It's going to be great. Uh, so I always, I always try to tell you, the, the, the worse the speaker, the greater God works. So, so let's, woo, God's power, here we go. So... <laughs> So let's take, uh, I'm going to take a look, and I'm also, what I'm going to do here is I'll be turning to the scriptures I'm going to use, I'm going to um, turn to them here in my Bible, but I'm going to read them off the screen um, with you, and the reason I'm going to do that is, I remember very clearly, the last time I was here, um, I got going on my sermon, I completely forgot about my slides um, until the very end, Um, and I realized, like, wow, that's slide one, awesome, so... um, (laughs) Part of what I'm going to do to keep myself on task is to actually read from there. That way, um, it has to be where I want it to be. Otherwise, I'm just going to go, hey, Willing Church, that's great. Um, So, uh, that's how we're going to do this today. So, we're going to start off, and we're going to do, it's going to be in Acts chapter 9. And when we read through this, I'm going to go verses 1 through 8, and we're going to talk about, do do we forget our encounter with, with Christ? Okay, we're... We're probably going to have multiple encounters with Jesus Christ throughout our lives. Okay, Hope, hopefully we do. Um, 
But primarily what we're going to look at here is we're going to look um, at Saul. Okay, we, we, we know Saul. We probably all remember Saul. Uh, this is the Saul that uh, converted, and, and we called him Paul and Saul back and forth throughout Scripture. Um, so this is the Saul we're going to look at. And, and I'm going to take a look at the first uh, bit of his conversion, and, and we're going to kind of look at that here. So uh, as I stated, here I am turning around. I'm not turning my back on you guys. Well, I am, but not, you know what I mean. Okay, so it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him, that's supposed to be to the, to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. So Saul has quite an encounter with Jesus at this point. This, this is probably not the same encounter that you had with Jesus. I, I, I've not yet met anybody else who has had a similar encounter to this. I don't know that I will. It's certainly not the encounter that I had. Okay, but this is how Saul meets Jesus Christ. This is how he meets him personally. And this is where he comes to that realization, wow, I've had it wrong. Okay, and he makes, as we go through Acts and as we go through the scripture, we certainly see the evidence of, of what the impact of that conversion was. But if we look at this one, I, this is where I kind of looked at this verse for myself. I often don't remember or don't consider the time that I had an encounter with Christ for the first time. Because let's face it, if we are, if we are uh, followers of Jesus Christ, we had to have had some form of encounter with him to be brought to him. We didn't do it of our own intellect. We didn't do it because one day we decided, wow, that sounds like a great idea, I'm going to go along with that. Okay, There was something in our lives where God revealed himself to us. And at that moment we, is when we, we broke and said, oh my goodness, that is what I want, that is what I need. I'm changing the way of my life and I'm following Jesus with the rest of my life. We had to have an encounter that did that. I think oftentimes we forget what that was. Now, I will often tell people, people say, well, when, were you, when were you saved? When were you saved? It was about eight years old, eight or, eight or nine years old. Okay. Now, some of that, for those of you who were saved at a younger age, that, it might be harder to remember as an eight-year-old what that great encounter with Jesus Christ was. You were eight years old. That doesn't mean you haven't had any encounters with Christ since then. The impact should be heavy on those encounters since then. Because Christ is not meeting you once and then leaving you to your own devices. He's not saying, great, you've met me, you've made your decision, I'm going to be over here, good luck with your life. That's not, the way, that's not the way Christ works. That's not the way God works with us. He comes in, he says, great, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you with me, and you and I are going to go through this together every step of the way. 
So because we're going to be with him every step of the way, we are going to have multiple times where we have new realizations of, oh my goodness, Lord, I'm seeing you again. It's almost like for the first time as he's bringing us through this. There are some things that to note of there. Obviously, we see that Saul has a very powerful meeting with, with, uh, with Jesus here. But the one thing I noticed too is, you, you noticed how this starts. Paul has not cleaned himself up to have a meeting with Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul did not uh, go onto the road to Damascus and say, oh, and by the way, on the way to Damascus, uh, I'm going to uh, clean up my act here. I'm going to um, not go after the believers. Um, I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I want to meet Christ, so I better... Uh, I better kind of cool it with what I'm doing. He doesn't do any of that. It says while he is still breathing out threats, murderous threats to the believers, he is on the road to Damascus. He has a job that he has in his mind that he wants to do. He wants to find followers of Jesus. He wants to imprison them. And we know, as he watched Stephen stoned to death, we know he very much approves of the loss of life of those same believers. So would some of those believers that he imprisoned perhaps lose their lives probably that's probably what would have happened okay so he has not cleaned himself up he has not changed his attitude he has not improved the way he looked to draw god's attention god meets him where he is and god meets us where we are i think a lot of times we feel pressure even after we have committed our lives to christ that that certainly we want to be obedient to Christ, but God is not looking for us to clean ourselves up before he uses us anywhere. And I think, man, that can be a a horrible stopping point for somebody who wants to reach others for him because we think, well, I've got all these problems in my life. I, 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 I have this sin I struggle with. I have this lack of understanding uh, in, in the Bible here. I, I have all these areas that I'm not equipped to do that. No, I can't do that right now. God can't use me because I'm not cleaned up. I still am so dirty. Clearly, God didn't have that attitude with Saul. God God looks at Saul and he's like, Saul, you're exactly what I'm looking for. (laughs) You're exactly what I'm looking for. Now, that's an interesting statement because... Paul was just breathing murderous threats out to the fellow believe, to, to other believers. Yet God is like, nah, that's, I'm looking for you. And so I'm going to meet you where you are, and we're going to go through this journey together. You, you might not be there yet. In fact, you're nowhere near there yet. But you are going to be there, and we're going to do this together. Saul was reduced very quickly in this story here. Saul is on the road, he, right? He's, he's heading down the road doing his thing, and he sees this light, and he's reduced pretty quickly. Who are you? There's, this isn't a, a, a response of, you know, hey, who are you? This is, who are you? I am concerned right now <laughs> about my situation. And after he has this conversation with, with Jesus, then when Jesus leaves, he, he's blind, he has no sight. I don't know what it would be like to lose my sight, but I do know what it's like to try to walk somewhere with my eyes closed or blindfolded. 
How many of you have ever been blindfolded for any reason whatsoever? Hopefully not a terrible reason, but just any reason whatsoever. Okay. How many of you have tried to move around or walk or get somewhere with that blindfold on? Anybody who's been a youth director or youth? Yes, you have done it. Lyle, I know, has done it. So, it's an intimidating thing to do because you, you can no longer rely on that main uh, input that we use to get around, right? It, it, you're relying on what usually other people. And that's what happens here with, with Saul. It says he was led by the hand into the city. And I think of when I sometimes have to lead my children places. Now, they have eyes and they work, but they don't, they don't work. <laughs> so, so sometimes I have to lead my children by the hand. Paul was being led like a child into the city. This is the Saul who was taking charge, who was in charge of many things. This is Saul the Pharisee. He was a well-educated man. Okay? He knew an awful lot. He knew scripture at that time. He didn't follow it very clearly, but he knew it very well, and he's been reduced to being led like a little child into the city that he was heading. So he's being trans... And then he's, he's... The transformation has to begin somewhere, and it's usually when we've been broken at some point. Saul has been broken down. He's, he's sitting not not able to see, and he's just, he's waiting for instruction. God even says, get up, enter the city, and it will be told what you must do. He doesn't know when that instruction's coming. He just knows that at some point in time, he's going to get some instruction as to what he's going to do and what that's supposed to look like. As far as he knows, he might be blind the rest of his life. He has no idea. Saul is a very different man from the one who left for Damascus. He is now a Saul who is stationary, who can't complete a task, who isn't sure where he's going to go, not only that day, but probably for the rest of his life. I don't know what I'm going to do. Am I going to be relying on other people to guide me? Is he going to be sitting outside of a building somewhere begging for money because he can't see Saul has a lot of unknowns in his life. He's very broken at this point. Not only this, but as we get further into the story, uh, we know that as we read through this chapter, he does regain his sight. It says that something like scales fall from his eyes and he is able to see. It also says that he is brought to other believers and they say, whoa, this is Saul we're talking about here. Are you sure about this guy? Because... I don't just want him creeping into my church message because we might all end up in chains or who knows what. I think we have to be comfortable before we start reaching other people that the sinful state that we come out of, it might be hard for people to believe that we have been transformed at all. People struggled with that with Saul People were like, really, Saul? Saul knows Jesus. Really? The Saul who is taking away men, women, and children and locking them up. The, the Saul who held people's coats and approvingly watched as Stephen was stoned to death. 
That Saul knows Jesus. Not so sure about that. Saul still walked with Jesus through that. Saul had to rely on Jesus at that point. You brought me this far. I need you to bring me the rest of the way. These are my fellow believers who are going to be helping me reach people for Christ. I'm going to need them with me. But Lord, right now, I understand where my background is. But I also understand that you've asked me to do something. Take me. (laughs) Let's do it. There are going to be some people who are going to question your background, you, where you came from, whether those sins that you had in the past are still struggles. Maybe some of them still are. Just because um, we're walking with God doesn't mean we don't struggle any longer. We still do. All of us do. Billy Graham struggles with something. I don't know what it is, but he does. You better believe it. Remembering the encounters we have with Jesus Christ are greatly important to how willing we are to step out and share our faith with others. Because it helps us to remember that they are going to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And hopefully they will continue to have those over the course of their life as they mature, as they go through their walk with God. And so if we we remember how important and impactful that was for us, boy, the desire to have somebody else have that same situation increases so much. So I challenge you to remember those. Write them down if you have to. Think about them often. Where did, where did Jesus meet me personally? Where did I see? And, and Was that, that bright light or that scenario where I was like, this is Jesus I'm talking to. This changes everything. The other thing I thought of is that we, and this kind of builds from what we just spoke to, uh, spoke of, and it's having compassion on other people. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 16, and we're going to do, do uh, verses 22 through 30, and I'm still going to turn to it just in case, uh, you know, technology decides that it doesn't want to be technology anymore, because uh, you never know. But we're going to do uh, 16, 22 through 30. I'll go ahead and uh, read that. The crowd joined him in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison. This is Paul and Silas, by the way. Ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Compassion on other people can go a long way. How many of you have been to a place you did not want to be? Everybody at some point has been somewhere where they don't want to be. Hopefully it wasn't prison. (laughs) 
for you. Maybe it was. I don't know your scenarios, but hopefully it wasn't. Okay? Uh, the DMV comes to mind. No, nobody wants to be there. That's like prison. Um, the, we've all been someplace that we don't want to be. When I was young, um, I hated school. I hated it. There was nothing about school that I enjoyed. For what that's worth. I, I, just, I just didn't, didn't want to be there. I didn't want to go there. I just didn't like sitting in classes. My favorite times were lunch, recess, and home. That was what I lived for. I just did not like to be in school. And I, I know that if, if somebody had come through and left the doors open and took the teacher out of the room, get me out. I'm ready. I will do anything but this. Think how much more that would be the case if I were in, a, in, a, in prison. <laughs> Especially in a scenario with Paul and Silas, it's not as though these guys were in prison because they stole something, because they killed somebody, because they incited a riot, because they, whatever it was. Really, they were in prison because of what they believed, who they followed. That's what they were in prison for. It'd be hard to be there for that, that, for that reason. Um, but what I like about this, we look at the jailer. So back then, if you were a jailer, you worked for the Roman government, uh, your job was to make sure that the people who were in the prison stayed in the prison. That was your job. Okay? It doesn't seem like it'd be too hard. Lock the doors. You have guards around, probably. Okay? But if anybody did escape from the prison, you were held responsible. That responsibility meant death. If anybody escapes, you die. Okay? What we see in this story, the jailer pulls out the sword. Basically, he's avoiding all the red tape. That's what he's doing. He knows what the penalty for this is probably going to be. Why bother going through all the fuss that they're going to put me through? Let's just do this. Now, there are some other things that stick out. This guy is, we see some other things. They're not said directly, but they're kind of implied. He's, he's in the prison, and he has these two guys. He has them locked up in ankle stocks and such, and they start praying and singing. Loud enough to that it says all of the prisoners hear him. That means I would assume the jailer also hears him. He doesn't stop them. Right? He's, he's not stopping them from doing any of this. And what I suspect is this guy, as far as a jailer, is a pretty blue-collar guy. Right? He goes to his job. He takes his job fairly seriously. Obviously, he, wants, he doesn't want people escaping. Right? It's bad for him. But he just wants to go home at night and be with his family and then start the next day. That's all he wants. So a couple of guys singing and praying. Whatever. It's fine. Do what you got to do. I just, I'm, I'm, wa- I'm watching the sundial or whatever it is that's going on. That's what, that's, that's kind of what his attitude was at that point in time. So he allows that to happen. And it makes a point that everybody in the prison hears him. Now, this must have had a greater impact than we, re- than we recognize when we first read this. Because there's a great earthquake and the doors of the prison fly open. Now, this is a prison full of Prisoners, most of them are not Paul and Silas type prisoners, okay? 
These are people who have done wrong things, and some of them really terrible things. Some of these guys are probably hardened criminals. They may not be their first foray into the prison system. Okay? They might have been there before for other things. They may have done worse things. Right? None of them leave. None of them. Because Paul doesn't respond with, the two of us are here. We stayed. He doesn't say that. He says, we are all here. The doors are wide open. If there's one thing a prisoner wants to do, it's get out of prison. Right? It doesn't matter if you're a prisoner because you did something wrong or not. You just want out. I want to get out of here. It's not fun being here. Nobody wants to be locked up in a room or in, in cells. It's not, not, it's not what we look forward to in life at all. We want to get out. So they, but they all stay. They all stay. One thing we get for the compassionate people is, is just the, the, the bravery to, to be willing to, to worship God whenever and wherever. Paul and Silas take advantage of this. They start singing praises to Jesus Christ so that the whole prison, I don't know how big this prison is, but the whole prison can hear them. And the impact must have been tremendous. Because when the prison doors open, all of these hardened criminals sat still and didn't move. Then the jailer realizes, oh man, the doors are open. Everybody's free to do whatever they want. Clearly, everybody's left. Paul and Silas, there are many options they could have had. One of them, they could have left. Two, Paul didn't have to say anything. He might have stayed, but he didn't have to say anything at all. The guy was the jailer. He was the, one of the guys that was keeping them locked up. Yeah, the doors are open. I don't know, maybe some guys get out. You want to kill yourself? Feel what, do what you got to do. You kept me locked up, so, you know. And that's, that could have been the attitude, but that's not the attitude that he has. He has compassion on this jailer. One, he knows what the jailer has to deal with. He understands where the jailer's coming from. He knows what the rules and the laws are. He's familiar enough with that so that he has understanding of what the jailer is going through. And so as the jailer draws his sword, I don't know where Paul is in relation to the jailer, but it does say that Paul has to cry out and say, we're all here in order to stop him from doing what he's doing. Paul has a great amount of compassion on the jailer. He knows what he's going through, and he speaks out to know that if I don't say something, this guy is going to take his own life, and I have something that he needs before he does anything about his life. And so the jailer responds. He doesn't kill himself. He comes out there, and and this is where it opens the door for the sharing of the gospel right here. The compassion that Paul feels for the jailer has immediate results. And the jailer coming back and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul then goes and shares the gospel with that jailer. And it talks about that he goes to his house and he and his family were saved. Compassion goes a long way with people, folks. 
And I think sometimes we need to check ourselves. I have to ask myself this oftentimes. Do I actually have compassion on people? Do I look at the positions they are in and try to understand why they might want to do some of the things they do? We have a tendency to think that people do things because they're purely awful people. And sometimes that is true. Most of the time, it's, there are some, there's something underlying that causes people to do things they do. We need to figure out what it is so we can help. We need to have compassion on those people. We need to do like Paul and be able to yell out and say, we are all here. Let us help you. The next thing that I thought about was uh, we need to give our best to people. Individuals and as a church as a whole. We're going to take a look at Acts uh, 6, verses 1 through 7. You can turn with me or you can uh, listen to me read it. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected by, in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith." So here they encounter a bit of a problem. There are some people that aren't being served as readily as some of the others, and they specifically point out widows. Uh, There wasn't a lot of um, governmental help back then for people who were in poverty, right? Today, you might fall on hard luck, and there are things that you can receive from the government to help benefit you and keep you afloat somewhat, okay? Back then... That was not the case. If you hit hard times, um, you, you hit hard times. Um, you were often reduced to going out on the street and begging for money, things like that. Some of these widows were probably hungry. They needed a lot of money. They needed a lot of extra support. The focus that I want to have here is when this need arises, when they see that there are needy people that need to be taken care of, is how they find the people to take care of this. There are many times as individuals or in churches um, where we see a great need in the public area around us. And sometimes what we do is we have people here who need help. Do we have any volunteers who would be willing to take care of this for a bit? And some people will come forth and give help. Now, that in and of itself is not wrong. I love it when people volunteer to serve the Lord. That is great. But I want us to look at some of the specifics that they say they're looking for in here. They're looking for people that are full of the Holy Spirit and who are wise, all right? And so we have a very interesting picture about the type of dedication to work or the type of people and commitment level that we should be looking for in things. 
Church leadership, I'm going to speak to you. So that's going to be your deacon board, your elders, those folks here. The rest of you listen too, but this is going to be another. As you are looking for people to take on different positions within this church, I think sometimes it is very easy to seek those who are available and willing. And that's it. <laughs> hey, so-and-so is available and they're willing to do it. Great, just please take care of this. It's, a, it's, it's something we have to get off of our plate. The example we get from here is that we, it's great to have volunteers, but we need to find people that, what is your walk with Jesus like? How close are you to the Holy Spirit? Do you listen to the callings of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you use God's words for wisdom? Do you serve him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Are those the things you do? Because that's what we want for people who are serving in this church. That's what we need here. That's how we make an effect on the, the, the people around us. And it's not that you can't volunteer. It's not that you, if, it's not that you can't say, hey, I, I am available There are certainly things you can do, but folks, let's try to make sure that we put people in place who are on fire for Jesus, who are going to reach the poor because they love them, not because they need to fill out a quota of public service. Right? I understand, folks. I understand. I was in high school, too, and I had to meet a service requirement for high school before I could graduate. I had to do the same thing. And it was so easy to use my church. Right? I, 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 was involved, I was heavily involved in our church. It was so easy for me to be like, hey, man, I've got to fill this out. Can you put me on some sort of duty just so I can do this thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll find something for you. That's great. What kind of attitude did I have on that? What's my, I just need to do this. Give me something to do. Yeah, I'll serve soup in a soup kitchen. Just give me something to do for a few hours to sign off on, and then I can forget about it. That's not what we're looking for when we serve people. If we have an opening to be serving people at a soup kitchen or just serving the poor, let's find the person. Where is your heart in this? Do you love these people? Because that's who we want. We want somebody who's dedicated. I want somebody who's going to go in there and say, man, these people, these are like brothers and sisters to me. These are the people that I want to win for Christ. That's why I want to be here. And then we're going to go in and we're going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray for you because, man, this is not an easy road to take. It's hard work. Let's do this together. But let's give the best of our efforts, not just something, because we have to do something. Let's give our all. Boy, how do we define if we're willing? Are we willing to give our best? If we're just trying to get things done because it fits into a schedule, chances are the truth about our willingness, no, we're probably not as willing as we think we are. We may may need to rethink that. Lastly, I thought about how we evaluate the obstacles or the things that are in our way in serving. Let's go to Hebrews. We're going to look at Hebrews 12, 1. Actually, I think we're going to go a little bit into 3, I think. But um, All right. 
Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame that has sat down at the, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The area that I want to focus on in here is in verse 1, where it says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles us. That's what I want to focus on here. Okay? Okay. How many of you watched the Olympics last summer? Okay? All right. We're, we're an Olympic family not in the sense that we are possibly going to the Olympics, okay? We love to watch the Olympics. I, I, like, so we, we, had, we didn't have any cable coverage, and the Olympics were coming up, and we got cable <laughs> because we wanted to watch the Olympics, right? I mean, that, that, man, two weeks of Olympic sports is great. And how many of you watched the sprinters, right? Usain Bolt, Justin Gatlin, all those guys, they run the sprint. Incredible athletes. And regardless of what you might think of Usain Bolt on a personal level, whatever, the, the guy is a phenomenal athlete. He's a phenomenal athlete. The guy, I mean, he runs like 30 miles an hour or something like that. It's ridiculous. It's absurd the amount of speed he has. Okay, so he runs really fast. But there is a t- technique to how you run a sprint, right? Right? Uh, so I, I've never been on a track team. Anybody been on a track team? Has anybody? Excellent. Okay, excellent. Any, so were you sprinters, runners, any of the, anything like that? Hurdle, hurdler? Okay, great. Hurdle, wow. That, Talk about making running hard. Um, <laughs> so, so, but you, you obviously still had to run. So there's a technique to running as fast as you can. You can't just go out there and... You just kind of run like that. That's, that's not how it works, right? There is a technique. Your arms bent at your elbows 90 degrees, okay? You're moving like this. You're running on your toes. You run upright, not like that. You run upright. You keep your body relaxed. Boy, that was always a problem I had, man. When I try to run fast, I'm always like, like that. So, I, you know, so that was something that I never got right, um, and I was not, I, I never did track. I don't, running, you, running is something you do if something's chasing you, right? So <laughs> that's, that's how that works. So I, I never did track. I just didn't understand, you know, I like to run for fun. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, so, uh, but that's, that's the proper technique to run at your fastest. Now, when Usain Bolt is, is striving to get an Olympic medal, a gold medal, because I don't think he strives for anything other than that. When he's striving to get an Olympic gold medal, he is asking himself certain things. Now, there are rules to track. He can't cross over the lane lines. That's important to know. Um, He's also trying to remember how to run his proper technique. That's great. But it's very important, the type of question he's asking himself, and I want to make this point because it's going to be very important to see the type of question we should be asking ourselves as we serve Jesus. Okay? Usain Bolt 
when he's running is not asking himself, is it wrong for me to flail my arms when I run? Well, it's horrible technique. So yeah, it's wrong to do that. But that's not what he's asking himself. Because if you ask yourself that question, is it wrong for me to do something? Well, then I'm just going to avoid that thing that's wrong and whatever else comes after is fine. Okay? So we have a thing up here. It says, let us avoid every, lay aside every encumbrance and sin. Every encumbrance, everything that gets in our way. So, Uh, John Piper has a great question on this, or a great statement on this. And he says, asking the question, is it a sin, is about the lowest question you can ask in life. Is it a sin? Is it wrong for me to do this? Oh, it's not? Great. Then I'll just go ahead and do it. That's all we're getting from that. You're just avoiding the, 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 the lowest level of how you can live your life if you're just saying, is it a sin? What we should ask, what we should be asking is, does it get in my way? That's what we should be asking ourselves. Can I see this movie? Well, it's not a sin to see that movie. Okay, I'll watch it anyway. But if we ask, does this movie get in my way of knowing Jesus Christ? Does it get in the way of my serving him? Does it get in the way of how I love people and show compassion on them? If the answer is yes to any of those, don't see that movie. Don't listen to that song. Don't hang out with those people. Don't do whatever it is that you're looking at. Does it get in my way? Usain Bolt doesn't strive to avoid doing things wrong. He wants to win. That's what he wants to do. His question is, does it let me go fast? That's what he asks himself all the time. He's not asking, is it wrong for me to flail my arms? Is it wrong for me to skip down the track? Is it wrong for me to do these things? No, it's not wrong, but he's not winning anything. He's not achieving any goals by doing that. What he's asking is, if I do something correctly, does it let me win? Does it help me to run fast? Apparently, Usain Bolt has been asking himself the right question. Because he runs fast. If we are looking to serve people appropriately, if we are looking to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, let's not ask about, am I, what, what are the things that, is it wrong? Can I get away with something just above that? No, I don't want to ask that question anymore. Does it get in my way? Is it blocking me from from how I can serve God effectively? Is it blocking me from how I can love other people? Is it blocking me from my relationship with God in any way? Because if it is, why am I doing it? You might define it as a gray area in something. Oh, it's not sin. It's not not a sin. It's not helping you. What is our goal here as believers? We want to be more like Jesus Christ. We want to be more unified in our relationship with him. Great. What's the encumbrance that's getting in my way of doing that? Because again, Usain Bolt isn't asking, is it wrong for me to run somebody? He's just simply asking, does it help me run? That's what he's asking. Let's start asking ourselves that question. Let's start changing the way we ask those questions of ourselves. That's what gets the best out of us is when we start raising the bar as high as we can. What is it that gets in my way of, of being on a level with, with knowing God 
the best I possibly can. And if it's getting in my way, let me move it out of there. I don't need that. I don't want this to be in my way anymore. Let me take it. Let me take it out. That was the whole part of, of the verse where he's talking about if, if your left eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. All right? It's the same thing. He's saying, hey, this left eye it gets in my way. I can't accomplish what I want to for God because my left eye is getting in my way. Now, that's kind of gross, but the, the statement is still true and still the same. Boy, I, as I thought on these things and I started putting this message together, um, I think any person who's ever preached in any way, shape, or form can tell you that probably a vast majority of the time when you are preaching, you end up preaching to yourself the, the same amount, if not more, <laughs> than to the, your, your congregation. I don't come up here with my own, well, I hope I don't come up here with my own ideas most of the time. Um, my job is to allow God to speak through me, despite my, my, my issues, my problems, the things that I don't do very well, um, my lack of knowledge in some way, or whatever the problem happens to be. My job is to allow God to speak through me. And what happens is when God does speak through you, um, he speaks through you to people and he speaks through you to yourself. You hear your own voice telling you things that, where did that come from? Um, and as I prepared this boy, I, I had to think again on how do I serve God? How do I serve people? Am I actually willing? The simple answer some people might say is, well, you're getting, going to be getting on a plane going to Spain. Clearly you're willing. Let me tell you, folks, there's a lot more to being willing than just saying I'm going to go get on a plane and go somewhere. All right? There's a lot more to it than that. Am I willing to get dirty with other people in their lives? Am I willing to lay aside the things that get in the way of drawing me closer in my relationship with God? Am I going to remember my encounters with Jesus? Remember those clearly so that I know that I want other people to have those same experiences? Am I going to have compassion for people? Am I going to look to see where their sore spots are? What's hurting them in their lives? And feel compassion on that? Am I going to seek the best efforts of myself and of the people who are going to serve with me? Those are, those are things that we need to ask ourselves very clearly before we get into are we willing? Let's take that with us this week. Let's all think on that and pray on that this week. Boy, myself included, because I got a. <laughs> I've signed on for a lot, folks. I've told myself I'm going to be a missionary to the world, to the country of Spain. It's a big responsibility, folks. I got a lot to think on because I want to do God's will. So, man, I better be willing. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this time together, Lord. Boy. Bring to mind the encounters we have with you, the times that you've come in and just changed our life and changed our view dramatically, Lord. Help us to think of those things. Help us to desire to see other people have those experiences and share those with us. Help us to have compassion on the people around us, Lord. Pray that we will take the time to get to know people, to not look past them, to not...
see the results of some of their hurts and be disgusted by it, but be filled with compassion by it. Help us to do the best of our abilities to serve you that we will look not to do things just because they have to be done and that's it, but because we desire to. These are important. As we reach other people for you, that we'll do it with all of our abilities and that we will look for people who want to do the same. And Lord, help us to ask the right questions, especially help us to ask, God, what is it that is getting in my way? What helps me to serve you and love you more, Lord? And if there's something blocking from that, help me identify it and get rid of it. And as part of that, I lay those things at your feet, Lord. I lay those things at, the, at your throne because I'm not the best at identifying my own issues. I don't always see them clearly, but you certainly do, Lord. And you can bring those things to light and you can walk with me. You have promised to walk with me through every step of that process, Lord. Because all of us, we can't do it alone. We desperately need you, Lord, to help us with that. So we lay those things at your feet and we pray that you would guide us through that process. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity that we can have together, the freedom we have in this country to get together and, and, and study in your word and see what you have to say to us. I pray that you would bless this church and, uh, and the rest of our social and worship time today. Lord, we just pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.